This WBEZ podcast is supported by the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention. Suicide is a topic that hides in the shadows. It's time we talk away the dark, learn how to spot the warning signs for suicide, and how you can have an open, caring, real conversation to help save lives. Visit the American Foundation for Suicide Prevention to watch the new short film and learn more at AFSP.org slash talkawaythedark. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. I'm Sasha Ann Simons, and this is Reset, your guide to the news, politics, the economy, and the arts. It's been a year since the United States pulled out of Afghanistan. Since last August, more than 79,000 Afghans have come to the U.S., 2,500 of them to Illinois, while many others wait for visas to be able to come to this country. The visa process has separated many Afghan families. So how could this program work better? Well, some refugee advocates say that the way the U.S. government streamlined the visa process for Ukrainian refugees shows that it is possible for this process to be smoother and that it's in stark contrast to the hoops Afghans jump through to be admitted into the country. Here to give us insight into this is Adam Bates. He's a policy counsel and refugee lawyer with the International Refugee Assistance Project that provides legal support to refugees across the globe. Which are the main visas that Afghans have received? Well, uh, technically some of these are not visa programs, but the there are the one visa program that most people probably have heard of will be the, the Special Immigrant Visa Program or uh, the SIB program for uh, Afghans who um, provided, quote-unquote, faithful and valuable service to the U.S. mission in Afghanistan. So these are primarily folks who um, worked as interpreters and translators or uh, worked in some other way directly supporting uh, the U.S. mission in Afghanistan. Um, there are also... Um, there's a what's called a priority two refugee program that uh, is for Afghans who worked for uh, NGOs and and um, and other U.S. government agencies, uh, and then there's the humanitarian parole uh, program, which which people can apply for as individuals. So theoretically, all of these pathways um, have have been open for Afghans, but in in practice, uh, they've they've been very narrow, uh, and for a lot of Afghans, they're they're simply has not been uh, a viable pathway to safety in the U.S. Yeah. Well, let's dig into a couple of the things that you just mentioned, Adam. First, the humanitarian parole. What are the limits there? Um, so humanitarian parole is uh, is part of our immigration law that allows um, people who otherwise don't have visas uh, to, to come to the U.S. Uh, and remain temporarily in the U.S. Uh, in lawful status. It, uh, it does not convey – it does not automatically convey uh, benefits such as resettlement assistance or uh, um, authorization to work. Uh, it's just – it's a, basically a, a safety valve in our immigration law that allows the president um, to to allow people into the United States um, if if the other visa pathways are not uh, are not viable. Um, so this has been used throughout history, uh, especially in this context of uh, following U.S. withdrawals 
Um, so it was used in, in the Vietnamese context. It's been used uh, repeatedly throughout throughout the decades of U.S. Uh, military involvement uh, in other countries. Uh, but this process uh, requires an individual and a sponsor to apply to the U.S. government and is basically asking the government in its discretion to allow you um, to enter the country. Um, so the, the problem that there has been for Afghans is that for a lot of Afghans, especially people who aren't qualified for the SIV program, um, humanitarian parole was essentially the only the only pathway that was made available to them. Um, but since and since uh, August of last year, tens of thousands, I think somewhere around 50,000 Afghans have applied uh, for parole to the United States. And by and large, the uh, the Biden administration has they have not processed the vast majority of these applications at all, uh, and of the applications they have processed, uh, they've rejected an overwhelming number of them, yeah. uh, citing uh, policies the Biden administration has taken towards Afghan parole uh, applicants that uh, are basically impossible for Afghans to meet. Well, to that end, Adam, we know that there are a lot of refugees from around the world, but two places that have major refugee programs right now are Ukraine and Afghanistan. So. For the purposes of this conversation, we're going to focus on comparing the response to aid given to refugees from both of those countries. So first, can you describe what United for Ukraine does? Sure. So it actually segues well from from your previous question, because the the Uniting for Ukraine program uh, is also uh, using the president's humanitarian parole authority. So so this is not a visa program. It's not part of the U.S. refugee program. Uh, It is uh, granting humanitarian parole to individual uh, Ukrainian nationals and and their family members uh, who have sponsors in the U.S., um, and I, I think so. This is essentially the same power that I just described that is not functioning for Afghans. Uh, but in the case of Uniting for Ukraine, the administration has, in a much shorter time period, um, brought many thousands more Ukrainians to the United States. I think something in the in the range of forty to fifty thousand Ukrainians have already arrived um, through this program. And in in that. In a much longer time period, going all the way back to August of last year, I think the uh, Afghans who've been granted parole has been something around 300. So um, there, there's there's just a, a huge asymmetry uh, in terms of how the administration is using its discretion around this parole authority. And, and let's be clear, Adam, you are not advocating for Ukrainians not to have this pathway, right? Absolutely not. I, I think it's it's um, there's there's no question that uh, that Ukrainians were displaced and that there was a, a huge humanitarian uh, protection need for Ukrainians. And in in fact, in in many ways, um, this uniting for Ukraine situation uh, program is one of the more one of the smoother and more efficient uh, 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 VR uh, parole uh, refugee type programs that the U.S. government uh, has devised. So I, I think it's. A lot of the innovations that they've used to make this program so functional uh, are great, um, and and obviously we don't want to make things worse for Ukrainians. But but the the asymmetry between how easily and smoothly and and uh, quickly uh, Ukrainians are being paroled into the United States uh, stands in in very stark contrast to how the administration is treating uh, Afghans who are in in 
basically a, a, a very close, closely similar situation, mm-hmm. uh, and and not just Afghans, but it's really um, it, it really just stands out in terms of uh, the the glacial pace of refugee resettlement uh, for folks all over the world, not just Afghans, but with uniting for Ukraine and with uh, Afghan H, uh, humanitarian parole applications, you just have this very clear apples to apples comparison that we don't often get in immigration policy, and yeah. it just makes the uh, the asymmetry between the administration's treatment of these of these two groups of people um, that much more brazen. And speaking of the application, that the fees are different, right? Uh, yes, for uh, for if you are an Afghan uh, and you apply for humanitarian parole to the United States, the the fee is five hundred and seventy five dollars uh, per person, not not per family. So, uh, an Afghan family of eight that applies uh, for humanitarian parole is is paying forty six hundred dollars. Uh, and this, I mean, I mean, this is a, also a country where the the GDP per capita is about five hundred dollars a year. Uh, for uniting for Ukraine, there there are no fees. It, it's a, it's a free application for Ukrainians, and in fact, Ukrainians who had applied for parole prior to the announcement of the program um, actually had the the fees that they had already paid refunded to them. So again, it's just clear that a lot of the logistical and and bureaucratic hurdles that were thrown in the the way of Afghans uh, seeking safety, Mm -hmm. the administration found ways around those those obstructions for for Ukrainians. And the the U.S. government has said that this is not a fair comparison and that United for Ukraine should be compared to Operation Allies Welcome. So what do you say to that? Well, I would think it's it's unclear why that these are both just parole programs. The Afghans applying for parole and Ukrainians applying for parole through um, uniting for Ukraine. Um, there was no uniting for Afghanistan. The, the reason Afghans have had to avail themselves individually of this process is because the administration did not create uh, a, a uniting for Afghan program that that um, made this process smoothly uh, and efficiently and. In, in terms of the Afghans who were evacuated from Afghanistan, I mean, that's that's obviously a different group of people from the Afghans who are now applying um, for humanitarian parole. Um, but the, the reason for that is that the U.S. government had occupied Afghanistan for 20 years and had a presence uh, there. Um, there obviously was no evacuation from Ukraine because the U.S. government was not in Ukraine. It was not occupying Ukraine. So I, uh, there doesn't seem to be any real reason to compare the evacuation of Afghans to this parole program that they created um, for Ukrainians. And these these two groups of people are not in competition with each other. There, there's no, uh, there's no reason that evacuating uh, seventy thousand Afghans last August should imply that we are going to deny humanitarian parole applications from Afghans a year from then. Uh, the the Biden administration made a commitment to at-risk Afghans uh, that was far broader than than the folks that were evacuated. So uh, I just reject any effort uh, by the administration to suggest that they uh, fulfilled their obligations and no longer have humanitarian responsibilities towards Afghans. When you look closely as well in comparison here, for humanitarian parole, applicants often need to prove that they were target uh, the target of violence, which is very different for Afghans and Ukrainians, right? 
Right. Uh, and especially in the in the Afghanistan context, the, the Biden administration has said that if you are still in Afghanistan, they simply will not process your application. So uh, in order because there's a lack of consular presence in Afghanistan. Um, so in order to uh, to apply and be approved for humanitarian parole, Afghans first have to leave and go somewhere else. Uh, and then the administration took the further step of saying that this this requirement that you be under threat uh, needs to be a it needs to be individual. It cannot just be general. The Taliban wants to kill me because of my because I'm who, who I am. It has to be specific to you as an individual and uh, that it has to be. It has to be present with you in the country you're now residing in. So it wasn't enough to just say the Taliban was going to kill me in Afghanistan. If you're now in Pakistan, you have to show that there's a threat to you in Pakistan. Uh, for Ukrainians, there was no such requirement at all. The, the Biden administration simply uh, asserted and, and takes for granted that if you are Ukrainian and you were in Ukraine, the Russian invasion uh, was sufficient to, to make you threatened. So, so again, this is and this is completely in the, the discretion of the administration. Uh, the, the threat requirement for Afghans is much, much higher than that for Ukrainians. So what are your thoughts, Adam? Why do you think the process for humanitarian parole hasn't been as streamlined for Afghans? Well, I mean, it's I, I can't look inside people's uh, hearts and brains, uh, but I, I think it, it, it seems it seems like this is a continuation of a, a very long history of U.S. immigration restrictions being applied uh, from a place of, of xenophobia, of, of racism, in, especially in the recent past of, of Islamophobia. Um, you know, I, I hate to say that, but uh, if, the administ- if the administration has a better reason to to justify its actions and to explain its policies uh, it's it's not a justification that they've offered so um, I, I think it's really difficult to look at this asymmetrical situation and and not see the ways um, that that xenophobia are are informing these these different policies if, if there's another reason I, I haven't heard it from the administration you know at the end of the day two years just seems like a very short time to be allowed to stay here in the US given just the sheer magnitude of violence and, and devastation that each of those countries is facing right now. So I, I wonder if you think it might be extended. And, and what happens after the two years? Well, the hope the hope would be that, uh, that especially in the Afghan context, there is uh, a bill currently in Congress that, that we have advocated for, uh, for for the last year called the Afghan Adjustment Act that would essentially provide uh, a pathway to uh, allow these Afghans in the U.S. to apply for green cards. Uh, this would be similar to, to other legislation in the past, such as the Cuban Adjustment Act. Mm-hmm. Um, again, this is something the U.S. has done before, where the, the parole authority is used in an emergency situation to get folks into the country, uh, and then Congress provides a pathway to status uh, for these people. Um, the alternative, if, if Congress just does nothing, uh, the, uh, the Afghans and Ukrainians um, can apply, they can always file for asylum. So the, I think the end result of this, you know, temporary authorization to be in the U.S., if 
if conditions don't improve in Afghanistan uh, or Ukraine, is going to be uh, a big influx of asylum applications. And I, I don't think anybody that does not benefit anyone to have you know tens of thousands of Afghans uh, who nobody nobody questions their credible fear of, of being sent back to Afghanistan. Uh, and they uh, it, it also wouldn't benefit the folks already in the asylum backlog, which I think is four hundred thousand something cases. Uh, there would just be a tremendous waste of. of of government time and resources in addition to, to making life harder on these Afghan refugees and, and already existing asylum seekers. So hopefully Congress will, will prevent that from becoming a huge problem. We'll have to leave it there. That was Adam Bates, who's Policy Counsel for International Refugee Assistance Project. Thank you so much, Adam. Thank you. This episode of Reset was produced by Linnea Dominic and mixed by Marie Mendoza. Check back in with us daily for more local conversations about food, music, or the top local stories you need to know about. And don't forget to subscribe or leave us a review. I'm Sasha Ann Simons. Thank you for listening and have a great day. We'll catch you back here tomorrow. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR.